The January 10th issue of Newsweek included an article by Reverend Chris Buse. He is the pastor from the Tennessee Valley Unitarian Universalist Church in Knoxville, where the shooting was last July. Um, Two of their members died in that shooting. And he was reflecting on some of that in this article. This is a quote from him. The trial for the man accused of attacking our church is set for March the 16th. A reporter asked me what results I would like to see from our day in court. Justice, I said. The follow-up question was predictable. What does justice look like? A community, I replied, where our children are safe. After the incident in our town, after the incident, everyone in our town felt as if the children of our church were their children. For weeks, people would stop me to ask, how are the children doing? Fortunately, none of them were injured in body. We continue to work on healing the spirit, and healing has its own timetable. A miracle story in the Bible is that of Jesus walking on the water. A miracle in my time has been witnessing the young and the old, the wounded and the whole, walking into our sanctuary without bitterness or resentment. Of course, the question keeps coming back, shall we return hatred for hatred? Anyone who has endured a brutal act of violence will know this temptation. Our congregation's experience, however, offers a cautionary tale. The man who brought violence to our church hated liberals. But in his desire to defeat terrorism, he became a terrorist himself. End quote. Plato said justice is possible only as it resides in our hearts and in the hearts and souls of the citizens. I had not seen that Newsweek article when I selected the title for this morning's message. What does justice look like? Uh, This past week, I went to a luncheon with the pastor of Evergreen Baptist Church here in Shreveport, Dr. Aaron Dobines. And I asked him, before I was aware of this article, I asked Pastor Dobines what he thought justice would look like. I asked if he had any images that came to mind when he thought of justice. And he told me a story of being in another city uh, where he had apparently been asked to come speak to do excerpts from Dr. King's speech. And as I understand, if you listen to Dr. Dobines with your eyes closed, he's pretty convincing. But... On this occasion, he had gone to this other city to uh, do Dr. King. And at the end of, his, of the excerpts, two children came out on 
to stage to stand with him, one white child and one black child, and stood on either side of him. And he said, in his mind, when he thinks of justice, that's the image he sees. Of course, that makes me think of Dr. King's line, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. And while that piece of Dr. King's dream seems to be coming closer to fruition every day, children in the schools in this parish often have ethnically mixed friends. And in some of the schools, gay and lesbian children get along with everybody else. A considerable considerable percentage of our children are growing up colorblind. I I won't go as far as to say it's the majority, but certainly far more than when I was young. Their circles of friends are broadening and being more inclusive. Certainly, we still have a long way to go from eradicating racism in our country and even farther to go when it concerns gender rights and orientation rights. This past Thursday night, I went down to the MLK celebration down at the Riverview Theater. Susan was there, too. Um, It was put on by the Baptist Ministers Fellowship and the city of Shreveport. But the keynote speaker was a man named Dr. Harold Carter from Baltimore, Maryland. And I want you to know I heard a speech that night. (laughs) This man hit a pitch that he kept... with a cadence and an enthusiasm for so long that it's hard to imagine it could have gone up a notch, but it did. (laughs) The, The whole audience was responding with enthusiasm, and it was wonderful to be there. Dr. Carter had been what Dr. King and Ralph Abernathy called their mascot. He had been close to these people and worked with them and carried the fire with him that they had for justice. At the same event, there were local heroes of the civil rights movement that were honored, including Reverend Harry Blake, who was beat almost to death. And as I understand it, was at the behest of George Dortois, um, for a, a peaceful demonstration as the police were trying to break up a peaceful demonstration. Another was uh, Dr. C.O. Simpkins, who in his time in Shreveport has had two family homes bombed. Now, when I lived in Los Angeles, I was mugged. In high school, I was in a, in a ladies' room with a knife in my face. And once other, one other time in my life, I've had a gun in my face. 
But I've never known that kind of violence that was built around a principle. Not in my lifetime, not in my experience. The people that had the courage to do the things that it took for the civil rights movement to make the strides that it has were rare. I would like to think that we don't have to suffer that kind of injustice personally to stoke our own courage to stand for the rights of the disenfranchised and the marginalized. But the only way that justice happens is if it happens inside us first. And that's a big job. It's a big job because it means moving past or through somehow our fears and our resentments. It means working to a place where we have a clear vision of justice that includes us. It's, it's easier, I think, to make a picture out there of what we might like to see the world look like. But if we insert ourselves in that picture, it begins to change because we like having advantage. Who doesn't like to get at the front of a, a line when you have to wait for something? Who doesn't like it if you go to a restaurant or Barnes & Noble <laughs> And the people there know you because you're a regular and you get something just a little extra. You have an advantage. Well, in our country this year, about two million kids between the ages of five and 18 are going to be arrested. Justice will look very different for them than it does in our little worlds out here. Justice for the single mother trying to raise a family on salary that's less than it would be if she were a man looks very different than it will in our projected images of justice. Justice for people whose orientation doesn't fit the normative pattern that the mass of society has set will look different than it does for those who live their lives without a thought about demonstrating their affection or whether they can go visit their spouse in the hospital or whether their property will be taken away from somebody who's invested half as much as they have. Or, or as much as they have. In the Tao Te Ching, the reference that's made to justice is one of justice coming because the way has been lost. The only need for justice comes out of not living in harmony with the way things are in, in this world best served. What does justice look like? And 
as we try to create a mental image let us try every day to get just a little better at understanding what it means to love someone else the way we love ourselves great men have shared their visions of justice with us but we need to have our own visions our own understandings dreams and ideals personalized internalized and practiced to the point of habit if you're willing to make a difference in this day and time if we are willing to make a difference we must find the courage to stand for justice even when it's unpopular we must be willing to risk what is for what ought to be